And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth unto Judea, unto the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by. Yet in the darkness, in the dark street shineth the everlasting life. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. For Christ is born of Mary and gathered all above. While mortars sleep, the angels keep their watch of wandering love. O morning stars together proclaim the holy birth, and praises sing to God the King, and peace to men on earth. Bethlehem, the little town of Bethlehem, the city of Bethlehem, is not, was not a great or large city, among the nations of men, even for tiny Israel, Bethlehem was not among the mighty and great. It may not be among the larger cities, but there is no doubt that Bethlehem holds great importance in the narrative of the Bible, for God often makes and finds things that are great that we would never see with our human eye, we would not call great. Bethlehem is great according to the Bible, and one of the reasons it is great is because some legendary, some epic, some larger-than-life characters in the Bible had some dealings there in the town of Bethlehem. This time of year, we remember Bethlehem because of the Christmas hymn that we sing, because of the story of Jesus' birth that most churches look at and think about this time of year. In fact, you might even say that Bethlehem is the forgotten member of the Christmas story. Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to remember Bethlehem. We're going to look together at the important role that Bethlehem played in the story of Israel to help us understand the significance and the importance of the journey that Joseph and Mary made to this little town called Bethlehem. We're going to see some larger-than-life characters who had dealings in Bethlehem and what it meant for the Holy Spirit to change their lives, and what it means for God to change your life today. Now, being a devout Jewish girl, when pregnant Mary headed towards Bethlehem, her mind probably went to some things that she had been taught as a child. We teach uh, addition and subtraction, and we teach how to read and write, and we work on geography uh, with our children and in the ancient Jewish culture, they would have done some of that. Uh, Jews, unlike their neighbors, would have put more stress on reading, even for common people and lowly people, because Jews believed that God had given a word. And so they wanted their children to know how to read so you could understand uh, the Word of God. You may not be able to understand the scrolls and all of that, but they wanted you to be able, if you were a male, they wanted you to be able to read if, if that was asked upon you. Uh, to read the Word of God or to do other things. And so Mary would have known either by reading or she didn't know how to read. She certainly would have been taught the importance uh, of the teachers of, of Israel. She would have learned from them the importance of Bethlehem. So when Mary headed to Bethlehem, as it says there in Luke chapter 2, what might have been on her mind? And Micah 5 might have been on her mind. Don't turn there, but just listen to this. Micah Chapter 5, verse 2, there was a great prophecy given to Bethlehem. As Mary headed that way to give birth to her child, she might have thought on the journey to Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem, Ephraoth, though you be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth unto me, God said, he that is to be the ruler of Israel, whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Did Mary ponder in her heart on the journey with Joseph, the great prophecy of Micah 5? Did she put together that what the angel had told her, that she was going to give birth uh, to a king, to a ruler, to a Messiah? Did sheer mind go to Micah chapter 5, verse 2? We don't know. 
But I feel pretty confident as she traveled, her mind at least went to one character, another famous mother in the Bible. You see, Mary is not the first famous mother who made a journey towards Bethlehem and had a child. In fact, when you go to the Old Testament, there is another famous wanderer and this wanderer's wife who go towards Bethlehem to have a child. And that wandering couple are Jacob and Rachel along with Leah, Rachel's sister and Jacob's other wife. Did Mary, as she traveled towards Bethlehem, did her mind go, probably did, to the Bible stories that she had been taught, did her mind go to Rachel and what it had cost Rachel to make the journey to Bethlehem to have her child. Did Mary think about upon the journey Rachel's life and how God had worked in that life? As she traveled to Bethlehem, did she think about what Bethlehem had meant for Rachel and did she think about what that story meant for her own life and what it means for humanity? This morning we're going to look at the life of Rachel. And we're going to see that her life was as messed up, as convoluted, as involved with sin as any modern story that we see in today's world. If you think we live in a wicked age, you need no longer than to look at the trouble that Jacob got into with his wives and with their father Laban to see that the great wickedness we see among us is nothing new. Nothing new. People in the Old Testament needed a Savior just as desperately as we do in America today. And if you are glad that Jesus is the Savior, say amen. Go to Genesis chapter 29. And go to verse 23, and we're going to read, and I want to let God's Word speak today in a powerful way. So we are, and I think for some of you, this will be the first time you've heard this, because generally in Sunday school, we do a great job of teaching about Jacob and Rachel and Leah, and then we quickly skip what happens to Rachel and Leah and the rest of their life, because it's not comfortable, and to some degree, it may not be appropriate to teach to six, seven, eight years old, and sometimes preachers never get around the proclaiming or letting God's Word tell the rest of the story. And so this morning, I want you to listen closely, and I have no doubt for some in our congregation, this will be the first time, although you have been in church for years, this will be the first time you have heard what God's Word has to say on this matter. And so we're going to look at Genesis. Now let me catch you up to speed very quick. In case you didn't grow up in church, didn't attend Sunday school, your memory's hazy. Uh, There's a great man, Abraham, that God calls out of his home country. And God makes Abraham a great man, and he gives him a child in his old, old, old age. Abraham has a child. And uh, time goes on, and Abraham's son that he was given has two boys, Jacob and Esau. Abraham has grandsons, Jacob and Esau. But Jacob and Esau, like many sons, there becomes strife between them. And Esau is the older, and Jacob is the younger, and Jacob tricks his brother Esau out of his blessing, and then he tricks the father out of giving Esau the birthright. And so Jacob is the great trickster in the Bible. He uses manipulative means to accomplish what it is he desires. Now, the hand of blessing of God was upon Jacob, but as we read his story, although God's blessing is upon Jacob, Jacob also suffered greatly the consequences of the life he had chosen to live. He, God is just. And this great trickster Jacob, he begins to experience things in life that are not what we would desire for anyone, even as he experiences the blessing of God. And I just want to skip ahead. There's an important lesson there for us. We are saved. We are redeemed. God has given us new life. But understand, God is a God of justice, and there are choices that we have made, and we have to live with those choices. But what God does that is so wonderful is when you get Jesus... He, one, forgives your guilt for the choices that you have made. And secondly, he walks with you as you have to deal with the consequences of your life. Jesus does not leave you alone. If you are glad, if you have messed up some in life, and you're having to deal with the consequences, if you are glad today that you don't deal with them alone, say amen. So Jacob tricks Esau, tricks his father, 
This makes Esau very angry and upset. He says he's going to kill his brother. Jacob goes on the run, heads back to his mother's people, his mother's country, and he gets there to her family and meets a man by Laban, a man named Laban. And, and, and this man has a beautiful daughter, Rachel. And her beauty captivates him and stuns him. And a, a young man captivated by beauty anyway, but much less he's further, he's, he's away from home doesn't know people, and so you can imagine how striking it would be for him to see this beautiful young girl. Well, he makes a deal with the dad. I'll work with you for seven years if you'll let me have your daughter Rachel to marry. And Laban says, that'll be great. It'd be better for her to marry you than some of these heathens around us. You know, you are distantly related. That'd be better for you to have Rachel than, than these other folks. So sure, we will do that. And so for seven years, Jacob works, and the wedding night comes all right now you got to get out of american mindset here you got to put that aside because their customs and their way of life are not like ours sometimes we like to pretend that you know we're just the extension of israel not true all you got to do is read how israel lived its life and you discover that very very quickly all right so this is going to be a little different especially for those of you that haven't grown up in church you're going to say what in the world is going on. Well, just stick with God's Word. Let it teach you today. We don't teach God's Word. God's Word teaches us. Amen? So you listen. All right, here we go. Now listen to what happens. They get ready for this wedding. They get together. We'll just start in verse 22 of chapter 29. And Laban, that's the, that's the dad. Laban gathered together all the men of the place and made a feast. And it came to pass in the evening that he took Leah, his daughter, and brought her to him, and he went in un. To her. Now, was she veiled? Had they been drinking too much? What's been going on? I mean, this is a this is a big deal if you know things about that culture. This is a big feast. We don't know, but it, it comes time and he goes in to his wife. Verse 24. And Laban gave unto his daughter Leah Zelpha his maid for a handmaid. Now, wait a minute, preacher. I thought you said he was marrying Rachel. Well, stick with God's word. Verse 25. It came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. He uh, spent that first night with the wrong girl. Came to pass that in the morning, behold, it was Leah. And he said to Laban, What is this that you have done unto me? Did not I serve with you for Rachel? Didn't I work for years with you for Rachel? Wherefore then hast thou, or why have you beguiled me? The trickster has been tricked. And Laban said, It must not be done so in our country. That's not our custom to give the younger first. That wouldn't be fair or right. That's not done in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. That would be a great dishonor for the younger daughter to be married before the older. So fulfill her week. So, so you know, let's, let's consummate this thing, make it right, make it official. Fulfill her week, and we will give you this also for the service which you shall serve with me yet seven other years. That's not our custom. That's not the way we do things. I've got to give you my older daughter first, Jacob. I'm sorry you didn't know that and realize that, but you've got to take Leah first. But I tell you what, seven more years and you can have the other. Well, how much does he love Rachel? What's he willing to do? Well, look what it says. And Jacob did so. He did it. And he fulfilled her week and he gave him Rachel his daughter to wife also. So he, he has this week where it's official. They are officially now a married couple. There's no going back with Leah. The week ends, and then he goes ahead and lets him marry Rachel. But he's got to stay and work for him for seven more years. Now let me, just, let me just stop right there. Like common sense should tell all of us something. It is a major adjustment. I've only been married to one woman in my life. That's it. And I, uh, that's, that, I, you know, I got, that's all it's going to be, Lord willing. That's all it's going to be. And I want to tell you, it's a major adjustment the first week to be married to one woman. Can you imagine being married to two women the second week? And I know what you ladies are thinking. If you think it's bad being married to us, take a look in the mirror, preacher. I'm glad Laura's teaching children's church this week. She can't amen this sermon. That's my wife, for those that are visiting today. So, two weeks, he's got two women. He's got a world of problems, and this boy don't even know it yet. And Jacob did so, verse 28, fulfilled her week, and he gave him Rachel, his daughter. Laban gave him his daughter to wife also. And Laban gave to Rachel, his daughter, Bill, haha, his handmaiden, to be her maid. So, so this kind of wealthy family here, 
uh, to some extent. They have each, each girl has a servant that serves with them. And he went in also unto Rachel. So clearly, you know, you can fill in the dots what that means. He goes into Rachel, and he loved also Rachel more than Leah. He loves Rachel more than Leah. And he served with him Laban yet seven other years. And when the Lord saw, one of the greatest verses in the Bible, when the Lord saw that Leah was hated, rejected is another way you can interpret that Hebrew word. He had just basically avoided her other than just the minimal duties of a husband. When the Lord saw that Leah was hated, he opened her womb so that she could have children. But Rachel was barren. If you're glad the Lord sees you in your pain, say amen. Leah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Reuben. Preacher, these are the 12 tribes. Called his name Reuben. For she said, this is what his name meant, Surely the Lord has looked upon my affliction. Now, therefore, my husband will love me. She says, I'm going to name him. And, and it's the word Reuben's going to mean the Lord has seen my affliction. And what she thought, like so many women have thought before, now that I have had a child, my husband will pay attention to me. He will love me. He will treat me the way he should. And in our culture, we might say maybe he'll put the bottle away or he'll quit, uh, quit doing drugs or he'll quit chasing after other women. Maybe now he'll get a full-time job and work and provide and care. And she named her son and said, God has seen my affliction, and behind that the Bible lets us know part of her hope was now maybe my husband will do right. Verse 33, and she conceived again and bore a son and said, because the Lord has heard that I was hated, he has therefore given me this son also. And she called his name Simeon or Simon. And she conceived again and bore a son. The Lord, when he gives his blessing, He's giving it in an overwhelming fashion. And she conceived again and bore a son. And said, now this time will my husband be joined unto me because I've borne him three sons. And she called his name Levi. Again, she's naming her son with the expectation, I've given that man three sons. The first one didn't do it. The second one didn't do it. Now I've given a third one. Maybe now, God, I'll name this son in a way that honors you because maybe now he will love me the way that he loves me. Rachel. And she conceived, verse 35 again, and bore a son. And she said, now will I praise the Lord. Therefore, she called his name Judah and left barren. She stopped having children at that point. Now, let me just, it's going to be a different kind of message. It's going to be your typical three-pointer type thing. We're going to preach through the passage and then make some observations. Now, listen to me. One thing I noticed right away about this text is God does not force Jacob to do right. We have a will. We have decisions. We have ability to make choices. And what I love about the providence of God and God's ability is that God is able to work in situations where even though Jacob is not loving his wife like he should, that does not stop God from blessing his wife. If you are glad that your blessings from God are not dependent on the person sitting next to you, say amen. Now, she's still in a tough way. She's still in hardship. Just because you've got problems in your life doesn't mean that God is not blessing you. She's being blessed, but there's also still difficulty. So she stops having children. Well, now things have reversed. He's still not loving his wife like he should, but in the eyes of the community, you don't have to read much to the Old Testament to quickly realize that it was a great scar in the community if you could not have children. I mean, you needed, they didn't have social welfare like we do. They didn't have government programs. They didn't have anything like that. And, and God in his law will provide some social, some social elements to take care of the community. But the law has not even been given yet. And really, in that society, if your children did not take care of you, you were probably going to be hurting and in a bad way. And so there were a lot of reasons that you needed children. Well, now things have changed a little bit. Leah has children, but Rachel does not. Look at chapter 30, verse 1. Listen to it now. And Rachel saw that she bore Jacob no children. And Rachel envied 
her sister. The tables have turned. Leah has envied Rachel because she is beautiful and men desire her. Now the table is turned and it is Rachel whose heart is broken because she can have no children. She envied her sister and she said unto Jacob, Give me children or else I'll die. And Jacob's anger was kindled against Rachel. And he said, Am I in God's stead? Who has withheld from you the fruit of the womb? Now those are words that will break a woman's heart. And that will crush her and bring her down. And he says to her, he says, Hey, I've, I've gotten this other lady pregnant. This is not my fault. This is your fault. And if God's decided you can't do this, who am I? I'm not the one withholding the fruit of your womb. And she said, Behold, my maid Bilahah will go in unto her, and she shall bear upon my knees, that I may also have her children by her. What's that mean, preacher? Well, we got this handmaid, and she's a servant of ours, and she's got to do what we tell her to do. Since I can't have children, and that's a great disgrace, you get her pregnant and let her have the child, and it'll be mine. Now, I wonder when I read that. Did they learn about that because Jacob had told them about what Abraham, his grandfather, had done? Because if you know that story, Abraham, when he didn't get that child, when he wanted to, him and his wife, they devised a plan that they would take Abraham's wife's handmaiden and they would impregnate her and that would be the child of promise. And God says, no, 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 that's not how I've planned this or desired this. And I've always wondered, did Rachel learn about that because Jacob told what Abraham did? Or... Did Abraham and Sarah come up with that because that's what the nations around them were doing and this is just one more evidence of it? I don't know, but either way, it was a bad idea when Abraham and Sarah did it and it's going to be a bad idea now when Jacob does it. And I tell you this, the sin that we get ourselves into when you pass them on to your children, it just gets worse and worse and worse. And there are some dads today that need to step up and step out and set aside your sin for your own, for your own decision but also for the hope of your family, because if you pass this wickedness on, as you're going to see, you're just inviting trouble into the life of your child. There are some moms that you need to set aside some self-centeredness and some self-pride today, and you need to determine, God, you've called me to be your servant, and I'm not going to pass this curse on to my children, and Lord, I've battled with this sin, and God, I'm going to give it to you, and I'm going to just submit to you and the power of your spirit today, and I'm going to cease from this sin. Mom and dads, grandparents, uncles and aunts, we do have a choice for the impact we make on the next generation. So let's not just gripe and moan and complain about everybody else. Let's consecrate ourselves before God and let's agree together that we're going to pass upon thus saith the Lord. I don't know where the bad idea came from, the nations around them, or whether they learned it from Abraham, but they did it. The children upon her knee. Uh, it was common in that time that when a child was born, shortly after it was born, they would take the child, and, it, and if, if the father wanted to acknowledge it as legitimate as it is, the father apparently would put the child upon his knee as a sign, this child is mine, belongs to me. So she's saying, although She's going to give birth. I'm going to put it upon my knee as a sign that it's going to be mine. So verse 4, she gave him Bill, our handmaid to wife, and Jacob went in unto her. Now he's got real problems because he doesn't just have two women in his life. He's got three, and one of them he's not married to. And Bill, I conceived and bare Jacob a son. And Rachel said, God has judged me and has also heard my voice and has given me a son Therefore called she his name Dan. Whoa, 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 preacher. You mean one of the 12 tribes of Israel is, is named after now a different women? I thought they all came from the same mom. Well, if you'd read your Bible a little bit more, you would know how it really worked. And Bilhah, Rachel's maid, conceived again and bore Jacob a second son. And Rachel said, with great wrestlings have I wrestled with my sister, and I have prevailed. Let me tell you, when sons go to battle and they war with one another and their spirits are in strife, it's bad enough. But when sisters contend with one another, I think it can go to a whole nother level. And she names her kid after this. She names her child 
I basically saying I've prevailed. I've, I've, she thought I wasn't going to have no kids, but I've come up with my own plan and I've outfoxed her. When Leah saw that she had left bearing, she, Leah's not having any more kids, she took Zilpha, her maid, and gave her Jacob to wife. Now the other sister gets in in the action and says, well, I'm just going to give my handmaid so I can keep having more kids. And Zilpha, Leah's maid, bare Jacob a son. Now, if this is just as messed up as anything as we see today, give a loud amen. Messed up. And I'm going to be honest, I thought about some families in this church. I thought about some of you as I was reading this this week. As I was reading this, I thought, you know, there are some people in our church that think they can't do anything for God, and devil can constantly beat them up because they say, my family is a wreck, my family is messed up. We, and you're right, it is a wreck, and you are messed up. But can I tell you something? If God is going to use Jacob, he can use the most messed up family in the world, including yours. Now, spiritually immaturity says, well, then I can do whatever I want. Wrong, because let's just keep reading about the consequences that are going to come. So she, verse 10, Zilpha Leah's maid, bear Jacob a son. And Leah said, a troop cometh, and she called his name Gad. And Zilpha Leah's maid, bear Jacob a second son. And Leah said, happy am I, for the daughters will call me blessed. And she called his name Asher. And Reuben went in the days of wheat harvest. So this, this son we already heard about at the beginning, Reuben, he goes out to the harvest. And he found mandrakes in the field. You can look those up. I didn't get a picture of those, but this is just a, pl a plant. And if you study that culture, they thought that mandrakes would make you more fertile. And he found mandrakes in the field. He brought them unto his mother Leah. And Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray you, of your son's mandrakes. This is valuable stuff because Rachel still hasn't had any kids of her own. And she sees the mandrakes and she says, if I can get me some mandrakes... Maybe then I can get pregnant and have my own child. And she says, I want those. Those are valuable to me. And she said unto her, look what Leah says back. Is it a small matter that you would have taken my husband? Would you also take away my son's mandrakes also? And Rachel said, therefore, he shall lie with you tonight for your son's mandrakes. Jacob had no idea what kind of trouble he was getting in. Rachel says, guess what? I'll make a deal with you. You give me the mandrakes and I'll tell the husband he better sleep with you tonight or I'm going to lay it on him. And Jacob came out of the field in the evening. And Leah went out to meet him and said, You must come in unto me, for surely I've hired you with my son's mandrakes. And he lay with her that night. And God hearkened unto Leah, and she conceived and bare Jacob the fifth son. And Leah said, God has given me my hire, because I have given my maiden to my husband. And she called his name Ishkar. And Leah conceived and bore Jacob the sixth son. And Leah said, God has now endued me with a great dowry. Now she's still Hungry for a husband's affection that won't give it. Now will my husband dwell with me because I have borne him six sons. And she called his name Zebulun. Still after all these years. Still desiring, still hungry, still wanting one thing for her husband to just show the love that he was responsible to show in the first place. If you feel you've been walking a long time with the burden. In a long time waiting to see things happen that have not happened. You are not alone. You're not alone. Afterwards, she bore a daughter and called her name Dinah. Now, here's what's interesting. Rachel did not have a child because of the mandrakes. There's no end. It didn't work. You know what that tells me? It tells me when God decided to open up Leah's womb, she didn't need the mandrakes. And when God decided that Rachel was not going to have any children, she could try everything outside of God's will that she wanted, but it wasn't going to happen. You can try anything you want, but if it's not what God has desired for you, it'll either just bring you heartache or trouble, or you can try every device that you want. But listen, if God has said, i got a different plan for you, by the way, that's hard for us. It's hard when God's plan turns out to be different. And God says, will you trust me? I, when I read this, I'm, I, let me tell you something I'm aware of. I'm aware there are mothers that have desperately wanted children. And they've desperately wanted that. And I want to say to you today, if that's you, if that's you, I cannot give you words to console you. 
But I can tell you there is a Savior, Jesus, that will walk with you. He will walk with you. You don't, you don't need more words from me or words from another man. I know from the own look that my wife gives to my sons, I know that as much as I love my boys, there's one person that I believe loves them differently in a different way, and it is Laura. And if you have desired that and not had it, there is no words that I as a man can say to you because I really don't understand that. But I can say to you today that if that's you, you need what Jesus has always promised, and that is I will walk beside you as you go through this. So no children. The mandrakes don't do it, but look at verse 22. Look what happens. But God, but God and God remembered Rachel and God hearkened to her and God, God opened her womb. And she conceived and bore a son and said, God has taken away my reproach. And she called his name Joseph and she said, the Lord shall add to me another son. She says, I, he's opened it up and I'm going to have one more. And she does have one more. I want you to turn to chapter 30, all right? Turn, turn ahead. Go ahead. Go there to chapter 30 and turn there. And I want you to listen now. She said, I've had these sons. I'm, I'm going to have one more. The God's, God's going to give me one more son, one more blessing for my life. Now, time goes on. She has one, and the years roll by. And Jacob, the trickster, and Laban, the trickster, they keep tricking each other until the, they don't trust each other. The father-in-law and the son-in-law, they don't trust each other because they've both been very dishonest in how they've gotten the things they've gotten in their life, and so they don't trust each other. And finally, it reaches a boiling point that Jacob says, i got to get out of here. And I know Esau says he's going to kill me, but I've got to go back. I've got to escape because things with Laban are going to reach a point of crisis. By the way, if you think you can run for your problems, you cannot. Your problems will go with you and they will find you. You cannot run from your problems, but today you can get forgiven from the sin that you have done. So time goes on. And they leave. In chapter 30, look at verse 22. Look what it says. It says, God remembered Rachel, and God hearkened to her, and God opened her womb, gave her that child, all right? She conceived and bore a son. Now go to chapter 35, all right? That's where I'm at today. Go to chapter 35, and listen. Now they're going to leave. They're going to run out. They're going to they're head out. Verse 16, all right, of chapter 35. They're, they're leaving. They're getting away from Laban. They've got to head out, and they journeyed. Where did they go? The family, all of them, Rachel, Leah, the handmaids, the sons, they all get together, and they journeyed from Bethel. And there was but a little way to come Ephrath. We saw that in Luke, Bethlehem of Ephrath. And Rachel travailed. She's pregnant with that second child that was promised. On the way to Bethlehem, Rachel is pregnant, and she had hard labor. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, you shall have this son also. A devout Mary, century later, is on her way to Bethlehem, who doesn't know a lot, but she knows the stories of the Bible, is on the way there, and she is also pregnant. Now, I believe everything short of the Bible telling us that Mary probably, I just, I, I just think the most probable thing is when she's pregnant on the way there, just like women today ask other pregnant women, well, how did you go? What should I expect? What's going to occur? I believe Mary's mind was probably back on Rachel as she traveled pregnant to Bethlehem. Back to Rachel. Hard labor, verse 35, verse 17. And it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said unto her, Fear not, you shall have this son also. And it came to pass as her soul was departing, for she died, she has the child on the way to Bethlehem, but she dies in the labor that she called his name Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. Now we'll come back to that. Why did they give two different names? Why didn't the father just go with Benoni? The mother called him Benoni, but his father called him Benjamin. And Rachel died and was buried in the way to Ephraim, which is, or Ephrath, which is Bethlehem. O little town 
of Bethlehem. So when you see the Christmas story and you know the Word of God, and you first read, when you're a Jew who first gets the news that the Messiah has come and uh, Mr. Luke pins his gospel to be passed around and read, and, and when a, a Jewish believer in the first century comes to you and he reads Luke chapter 2 and he tells you, he reads that scroll and he begins to tell you about this couple named Joseph and Mary who headed to Bethlehem, you don't already know the end of the story because it's the first time you've heard it, but your mind immediately goes back to Rachel and to the story of Jacob and you know that the journey did not end well for Rachel on the way to Bethlehem with the first story. Leah, Rachel, Jacob, Laban, the handmaidens, these are the chosen people of God and yet none of them, none of them emerge from Genesis looking that great. As Mary and Joseph head out to Bethlehem, does her mind go there to the pregnant mother Rachel who died on the way to Bethlehem, giving birth to Ben and I, to Benjamin? What would Mary have deciphered in her heart? What would she have thought within herself on the journey? What does that first journey mean for me? And what does it mean for what God has planned for his people and for my life? What is she thinking? And I think there are two things that she could learn from the first journey to Bethlehem. Number one, when we read the text we've read today, there's no getting around it. We learn today that God sent Jesus, the Messiah, because life is infected with evil from top to bottom. My family, your family, this entire world doesn't just have a slight sin problem. We are infected, this human race is infected with evil. Sin. If you are tired of what sin does to communities and to our nation and to your family and to your children, if you're tired of what sin does when it brings death and takes away those that we love, if you hate sin, say amen. What did she learn and why does God put this in Genesis? What we would hide from, what we would run from, what we would not dare discuss in polite company. Why does God put it in the word of God and demand that we look it square in the eye? Or rather, that his word look you square in the eye. Why? Because God made us. And he knows this is not the purposes for which he made his people and he made his creation. And it's not just this family. It is you. God did not make you to live in the sin that grips your life and grips your heart. And it breaks his heart in a thousand pieces. What we have done with the life that he gave us. So the angel has promised Mary there will be a Messiah, there will be a Savior. Why does Israel need a Messiah? Why do they need a Savior? They have the law. They have the law. They have the Old Testament. They have the traditions. Praise God, they've got Moses and they've got Isaiah and they've got Abraham. They've got Father Abraham. Why in the world do they need a Savior? Because even Israel, from top to bottom, is rotted out with the power of sin. And so she traveled the first journey. Why is Christmas so important, the story of Christmas? Why is the birth of Jesus so important? Why is it so central to us? Because we need Jesus to save us from sin. Not just the polite sins that we talk about, but the secret sins of our heart that if we allow them, will grab a hold of us and run wild. We need salvation. You need salvation. What a mess. What occurs with Lakeman and Jacob and Rachel and Leah, the deception, the rivalry, the strife, the jealousy, the naming your own children after the battle that's going on between these two. This is not what God created his people for. Common sense. Common sense should have told them that it's a horrible idea for two sisters to be married to the same man while they're both alive. Actually, it's more than common sense. When God gives the word of God in Leviticus, he outlaws this. He says this was never to be, and it better not be done again, because what it does, and the word, of, the, the word of God says, while they're both alive, you're not to be married to 
two sisters. Now, if you're married to one and then a death occurs and you marry the other one, fine. That, that's allowed, but not while they're alive. You see, Christmas is the time for celebrating Jesus because he's coming is so special. But my friends, let's not play games with the world around us. The reason Jesus came, the reason we celebrate that is because the world was infected with evil and Jacob is just one in a long line of people who failed, who failed to rise above sin. But in Jesus, a champion has come. That, that great night when he was born, the true champion has arrived who would deal decisively with sin. So dads, don't play around with sin. It will ruin your children's lives. Spouses, don't play around with sin because it will ruin your marriage. Seniors, don't play around with sin because it will ruin your legacy like it did Laban and even Abraham and Sarah to some extent because they had engaged in this sin. Don't fool around with sin. You say, Pastor, why are you so passionate about this? Why are you preaching so hard about this? Because if you stay in your sin and sin rules you, you will face the judgment of God in hell. We don't talk about hell anymore. We don't, we don't talk about hell in our society. We don't believe anybody's headed to hell. Oh, we may say it, but we don't really believe it. My friends, Jesus came because you were bound for hell. This is hell on earth, what's going on in this family, and this is the family that God chose. See, when Paul gets to Romans and tells the Jews, when he makes that move in Romans at the beginning where he talks about how bad the Gentiles are, and if you're a Jew and you're reading that, you're thinking, yeah, those Gentiles are bad. And all of a sudden in Romans, very early, he then switches it and talks about how bad the Jews are. They should have already known this because the patriarchs that they put such pride in, their family life is really not that great. By the way, if you're prideful, you know what the Bible says about pride? Well, not the Bible, not the Bible. You know what we say about pride? Pride is the only disease known to man that makes everyone sick except the one who has it. Pride, you say, I got no sin. I got no sin. Then what you've got is pride, and pride is a sin. And you may not see it, but everyone else can. So what would she have learned on the way? One, she would have learned that life is infected with evil. But the second thing that Mary would have gleaned from today's text, not just that life is infected with evil, but praise the Lord, God champions the weak. When Jacob ignored his responsibility to Leah, when he disrespected the mother of his children, when he did this, when he showed this disrespect, to the mother who would give birth to the children who would become the tribes of Israel. When he disrespected Leah, God championed Leah's cause. God, God championed the one who was forgotten. But when Leah had children and the tide began to turn and shame began to come on Rachel, the same God who had championed Leah in her weakness, comes along to champion Rachel in her weakness. Now, is God confused? Did God switch sides? No. God, with both women, was on the same side that he's always been on. God is always on the side of justice. The question is not, is God on your side? The question is, are you on the side of God? You see, too many people have experienced the blessing of God. And they have said, God is with me. And God is with my family. And God is with us. And then they have abandoned God and not realized that God is no longer with them, not because he has switched sides, but because their erring, wicked heart has chosen to leave his path. God is always on the side of justice. So it is not surprising that over and over again he is on the side of the weak. Because often, more often than not, not always, but more often than not, it is the weak who find it so hard to find justice in this life. These two women, they're just at the hands of a father, and they're at the hands of a husband. And 
unfortunately, when they try to do it on their own, they just engage in their own set of wickedness. What they all need, every person's story needs is a champion. And we find that God champions the weak. Brother Rick, show them this verse real quick. Look at, look at this verse. I love, I love this verse. God gives power to the weak, the Bible says. Whether it was Rachel or whether it was Leah. God gives power to the weak, to the faint. It says to the faint. God gives power to the faint and to them that have no might. He increases their strength. That's from Isaiah 40, 29. So what a comfort this must have been to Mary as she traveled toward Bethlehem. Because she's weak. Her and Joseph don't have a lot of stuff. She doesn't have a lot of belongings. They're at the mercy of the Roman Empire. And then they're at the, at the mercy of their own poverty. They don't have a lot. And they've got to make this journey. And she's pregnant. So her body is physically, literally weak. And so what a comfort for her as she traveled to think about the first journey to Bethlehem and the story of Jacob and Rachel because we see in that story that God sides with the weak. What does the Bible tell us? When we are weak, He is what? Strong. God champions the weak. That's not just a New Testament truth for the believer that is weak. It is true in the Old Testament as well. We may say it this way. God gives grace to the weak. Maybe today you're concerned. Is God with me? I feel weak. Now there is a weakness of sin. And if there's weakness of sin, you need to repent of your sin. And experience God's grace in forgiving it. There's also just a weakness of being worn down by life. And some of you this season... This year has eaten you alive, and you are worn down. And I say to you today, one of the great words of Christmas is that the champion has come. God champions the weak. Now let me show you one more thing before we conclude today. It says on the way there that she gave birth and died, and she named the son one name. Look at verse 18 if you still got it. Genesis 35. Just if you got it, look real quick. It came to pass as her soul Rachel was departing, she died. And she called his name, the child's name, Benani. But his father called him Benjamin. Now, in, in when you translate Hebrew into English, you have to make choices. You know, And one choice you have to make is... Their names mean things. And so when you're, when you're a translator, do you say what the name means or do you put it in the name form that we would name kids today? And so we, don't, we miss the meaning of those names. In Hebrew, you would get both of those. Benani literally means son of my sorrow. You see, she so wanted this child. And she knew when the first one was born that she was going to have a second one. And she so wanted that so bad. And God is faithful and she has the second son. But what she didn't know in all those years, what it would cost her to have the second son would be her own life. And so when she names her child, she names him son of my sorrow. Now, could you imagine being a child? Raised and born already carrying the weight that your mother died in childbirth to you. And then your name literally reminds everyone that you were the cause of your mother's sorrow. Could you imagine carrying the weight of that? For Jacob, apparently that was more than he could bear. That was more than he could do than to allow his son carry this constant reminder throughout all his life that he was the son of his mother's sorrow, her very death. And so Jacob changed his son's name. He changes his name to Benjamin, which means in Hebrew, son of my right hand. Today, if you're honest with yourself, your sin has brought great sorrow to God. You have crushed the heart of God, met metaphorically speaking, of course, you've crushed his heart. You've brought sorrow to God because of what your sin has done. You have brought sorrow to those around us, around yourselves, because of your sin. Your sin has hurt and it has taken 
life away. And that's what our sin does. Our sin takes life away. God is a giver of life. But our sin takes life. And it rips life away. And we continue in our sin because that's just the way we are. And we walk through life and our sin just continues to rip and rip and rip and rip. My friends, your name, my name, without a Savior, without a champion, infected with sin, we too are sons and daughters of sorrow. But you know what the good news of Jesus' birth the second trip to Bethlehem, which would not be thwarted by death. Do you know what the good news of that story is? Today, if you will embrace Jesus, He will take your old name, a name of sorrow to sin. And if you will yield to Him today and bend your knee to Him and confess your sin and trust Him today, the Word of God says declaratively that God will take your old name, the name of sin, and He will wash it away and He will give you a new name written down in glory. Then and I, the son of my sorrow, or Benjamin, the son of my right hand. You know what the Father God wants to do to you today? He doesn't want to keep you in the sorrow. He doesn't want to keep you beat down. He doesn't want you to continue to walk along with the shame and the guilt that you have. What he wants you to come is so he can raise you up by his son Jesus who sits at his right hand. He wants to raise you up so you can get a new name, a new start, a new life. Every father in this place, look right here at me, every father. All your sin, if you pass it on, it will infect your family. It's going to be hard enough trying to live for the Lord because sin's still going to be there. But believe me, dads, if you just continue in what you're doing, that sin's going to pass right on. Moms, it's going to pass right on. Church, it's going to pass right on. There are some moms and dads today. You desperately, you need to forget about the time. You need to forget about lunch. You need to forget about all that. You need to listen to the Spirit of God. And you need to get in an altar today together as a husband and wife and grab each other's arms, hands and arms and say, thank you for Jesus. And I'm letting this sin go. And if your spouse won't come with you, just get up and come yourself. There are some men and women in this room. It's not just desiring a child that didn't happen for you. There are others that maybe that's not what you wanted, but there's something else that you so desperately wanted. And you're having to walk today and you're wondering, has God forgotten me? And what God has reminded you today through Rachel and Leah is God never forgets the weak. His heart is with the weak. And maybe you need to come today and you need to say, dear Lord Jesus, I don't always feel that presence. But Lord God, I believe today that you are here with me and I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust you. There are some women in this church today had great loss in their families past week and a half maybe today you need to come and just say God I'm just I'm gonna have to walk with you you're gonna have to walk with me maybe today you're on your way to hell and make no doubt about it you are maybe today you're on your way to hell and the legacy you will leave your children is the doubt over your salvation doubting where you are and today not for them but because it's the right thing to do before God, you need to come today and you need to kneel before Jesus and you need to say, Jesus, give me a new name. Musicians, come on. Whatever you do in the next three or four minutes, you listen to what the Spirit of God calls on you to do. Stand with me.